Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, We are recording this live on February 1st. Happy February. Happy February. Oh, my gosh. How is January finally fucking done? (laughs) Is it 2022 yet? January was definitely the longest year ever. And then tomorrow is Groundhog's Day, right? It is. And Wednesday is my grandpa's birthday. Oh, nice. Nice. Happy birthday, Grandpa. And I hope you had a good one, because by the time you hear this, it'll yeah. be over. 80 years young. Oh, wow. It's a big one. It's a big one, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we will know if we have six more weeks of winter or not. Yes. Yes, we will. So this this is fun and just reminded me um, tonight I am going to be watching the movie Groundhog's Day. You know, Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Because tomorrow my team and myself are participating in a Geeks Who Drink (laughs) online trivia (laughs) that's just about the movie Groundhog's Day. Oh, my gosh. That is going to be such a hoot. Isn't that so fun? I love it. (laughs) I know. I'm really excited. I'm excited to have, because we've done it before, and it was just classic trivia. Mm -hmm. So you don't really know what they're going to ask. It was really flipping hard. (laughs) So the fact that I actually can, quote unquote, study before this one. Oh, my God. What a nerd. (laughs) Give myself a leg up. Um, which I'm sure everybody will be doing, but uh, I'm a pretty good cr- like last minute crammer. So if I just watch it tonight, by tomorrow, I'll be good to go. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear how that works for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of movies, last night my family watched a classic. I feel like it's a rite of passage with my girls. We watched The Sandlot. Oh, so great. So great. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, my husband and I were watching a trailer the other day for a new movie coming out. And uh, we turned to each other and almost at the exact same time and at the exact same like sentence structure said, that movie has real Goonies energy. Oh, I wonder what it was. You'll have to find it and send it to me. I have no idea. But then both of us were like, oh, we should watch The Goonies. <laughs> we did The Goonies a couple of months ago. It's really funny when um, you watch all these classic movies from your own childhood with your kids and you're more excited to watch it than they are. Oh, by far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you're constantly looking at their reaction. And if they're <laughs> like, eh, you know, they kind of like, meh. You're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you idiots, you don't know nothing. That's how it was with the never-ending story. We oh. watched that one. And I'm like, did you love it? So good. 
and they're like, eh. Oh, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm hurt on behalf of. I was gonna say our generation, but we're in different generations. So thank you for reminding me. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My incoming gray hair reminds me of that all the time, Nia. Thank you. Well, I just found out today that um, side parts are out, and it's oh. now an indicator of um, us older folks. And I tried to do a middle part, and I look like somebody from the Adams family. So I'm not not trying that again. Oh no, we're <laughs> supposed to go to a middle part. Yeah, and apparently skinny jeans are also out. And like, I just converted my wardrobe from boot cut like a few years ago. I can't go back. What is what's the skinny I, jeans moving into? I have no idea, but I'm I'm not cool enough to know. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. That's so funny. I need, we need some young people around us in our lives that can help give us the 411. <laughs> if you are younger than us listening to this and understand why middle parts are coming in and w- what is replacing skinny jeans, please let us know. Nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. <laughs> well, I was laughing. <laughs> Because there was a joke in the Sandlot yesterday. I forget what the situation was. But this kid's like, come on, man. It's taking you so long. Your clothes are going out of style. (laughs) (laughs) And Harper was like, what? Like, no concept of, like, fads in fashion, you know? Of course, Harper's just like, I'm only going to wear what feels good on my skin. So. I could care less what's in in vogue. Oh, smart kid. I know. How was your weekend? It was lovely. Um, as you know, Girl Scout cookies have started to be released. I do know. I do know. Maybe I should post a link to that. <laughs> I think you did yes last year actually. <laughs> in the show notes. Oh my gosh, I just had this brainstorm of that's how we can hit our quota this year. Publicize it on the podcast. Um, Yes, it is Girl Scout season, Girl Scout cookie season, and I have not one, but two of them. So look in the show notes for a link. Apparently I'll be adding that to the show notes, folks. Um, (laughs) But I have a number of young Girl Scouts in my life, and so uh, got to enjoy picking those out um, and bestowing... My my wisdom, as a former seller of Girl Scouts, uh, mm. they gave zero shits about my tips and tricks, but that's okay. They don't care. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They really don't. What? I want to hear one of them. Um, <laughs> God, you're putting me on the spot now. I know. Well, in reality, what I actually did, and this is not what I told this child, um, I would just drop it off at my dad's company. And yeah. I would put out some Girl Scout cookies as like t- testers, tasters. Oh, samplers. Yeah. Little value add before you buy some. Everybody from me. loves a sample. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but the best years, I would actually like camp out, you know, especially like if they're they're pulling a big shift Saturday, I would just sit in the break room. Oh, you you want a cookie? Here. You could you could buy some boxes, bring home you got some kids at home? I bet you they would love some cookies. Ugh, real entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. But what was funny uh, is 
this is a long story. I'm going to make it much shorter. So I had fraud on two different credit cards last week. Uh, one you on, told me about that. Yeah, one on my bank card. And then while it's because you left the state, it's because I went to Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. You haven't left the state in almost a year, a full calendar year. And you left the state for one weekend. And now you have fraud on oh, two cards. It's awful. So last week, my bank card got shut off because there was fraud. And then Saturday, while I'm like interacting with the my friend and her Girl Scout, I get an alert that my other, like my main credit card is shut off. And so we're talking about it. And this sweet girl, she's like nine years old. She was like, well, Nia, I have some money you can borrow, which just like warms your heart. But then I'm trying to explain to her that it's like, I don't, it's not that I don't have money. I just can't get my money. And then as I'm explaining it, it's like, that is the weirdest thing ever. Like, yeah, the, the concept of you have money but don't have access to it. Yeah, I can't actually pay my bills with it. But yeah, it's in the bank. I, what the fuck kind of financial system have we created? It's so true. And I've had that happen before. And it is such a pain in the ass to not have access to your money sometimes for two to three days until they get it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, but right at the end, she was like, do you want your cookie, your money back for the cookies? These these can just be from me. Oh, <laughs> my little heart. So Aww. sweet. Well, you're always so equitable when it comes to your Girl Scout cookie purchasing. I do try. I really appre- I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to manage. Not going to lie. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. I can imagine a lot of expectations you're trying to meet. Yes, yes. And I, I remember being that girl. And I, I would remember last year Uncle Joe bought 12 boxes and this year he's only buying 10 and that's shit. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, you bring up a good point with the sampling. I mean, it's going to be a long time before we ever do shit like that again. Yeah, yeah. It's hard If we this ever year. do. And that used to be one of my favorites, like especially at Costco. Costco. Oh, gosh. Which, by the way, I heard they're bringing the churros back. Oh, they are? Yeah. They're already back in California. It should be nationwide soon. Can't wait. Yeah. But those sample days. They're they're good. Mm -hmm. When you could snack and shop, that was the best. I mean, you get a full meal out of it. You don't even need lunch anymore. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. Well, what are we talking about today that has to do with nonprofits? Well, I thought we would just talk about the stock market today. How's your GameStop doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, bummer. I completely missed out on that one. Um, But hey, I got a, a couple of other hot tips that I'm working on right now. We'll see if they manifest. Aww. Well, if that doesn't happen, we'll have to keep our jobs working for nonprofits, in which case we can talk about stewardship today. Yes. Yes. This is um, one of the most common forgotten steps in the donor cycle. So for those of you that just stumbled upon this episode, we are in episode five of a five-part series on the donor cycle. And so um, we did the first one, which was on identification. The second one, which was on cultivation. The third one, which was on solicitation. 
the fourth one last week we did on acknowledgement. And now this is the final step of the donor cycle, stewardship. So what is stewardship? Well, first off, I I need to admit something. Um, I have never once in my life spelled acknowledgement correctly on the first try. <laughs> and I had to type it about 37 times last week to prep for that episode. Um, so um, my... Is my, it two E's or three E's? I, I still don't know. My ego shot because I can't spell it. <laughs> I'm glad we're on stewardship, which I'm pretty sure I can spell correctly on the first go. Nice. Um, so, if, again, thinking linearly, if acknowledgement is that immediate post-donation um, thanking of the donor, then stewardship is that longer-term approach, ensuring that they really understand the importance that their donation had to the organization, ensuring they know that it's continuing to be utilized, that it's doing great work, um, and really just keeping them updated and informed and involved, most importantly, involved in the programming, the mission, et cetera, which then primes you to maintain that circle and identify them again. Yeah, so this is the step in the cycle that is going to help you retain your donors. And we all know that it takes a heck of a lot more work to get a new donor than it is to retain a current one. But I think that we're always so kind of trying to find that next new person that, you know, once we get Sally Sue to make her donation, we're like, we got her, she's in. And now we're looking at, Jimmy John over here and trying to get him to be a donor when really we need to maintain that communication and that relationship with Sally Sue because she might have made her first donation, but her second donation could be above and beyond what she originally gave. And let's be clear, most nonprofits have a donor retention rate of less than 50%. That means that for every two donors... You have in one year, only one of them will actually give again in the next one. And that sucks. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, to be fair, there are some, um, for example, there are some ways that we acquire new donors that it's really hard to maintain that connection and relationship, specifically with the rise of peer-to-peer fundraising. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, actually, when I do, like, fundraising analysis for organizations, I will often give an overall retention rate and then a retention rate excluding peer fundraising because Mm -hmm. it does um, artificially lower those retention rates. Um, Those folks are really tied tied to the fundraisers, not necessarily the mission. Every so often, you can convert some of those over, which is great, uh, but it is a much harder sell than your traditional donor. Right. So if you're like, what's peer-to-peer fundraising? That's all of your runs, your walks. Um, That's when you're raising money as an individual on behalf of an organization and you're reaching out to your network, asking people to support you. So um, when I reach out to, you know, my cousins in Ohio and say, hey, I'm doing this, you know, benefit for x charity will you support me in that more than likely they're they might believe in the cause and say wow that's a really great thing that Brittany's doing but their 25 dollars that they're giving is to help me and really the connection is me and not so much the organization itself so when the organization x organization then tries to mail them a solicitation be it an appeal letter or whatnot two months later they're saying what is this wait 
maybe they don't even remember that they gave to it because they just remember that they gave to me or it's for an organization that's not in their community. So they're saying, well, yeah, I supported Brittany in that um, because she was doing good work, but I'm not really going to give again to the organization because they're not even in the same state as me. Mm -hmm. So here, I'll give my classic example. Um, I gave to an organization um, because a friend's family member had passed away and they wanted donations in lieu of flowers. Um, And so I gave to this Jewish organization she had been involved in. I continue to get solicitations from Jewish organizations across the country. I am not Jewish. (laughs) But because I made that one gift, they they continued to solicit me and then clearly sold my information on to all these other mailing lists. Sold your info. Totally. What's funny, though, is so many of these are the ones who do like the mass mailings with something included. So I've got... (laughs) <laughs> a notepad that says like Shabbat on it. Nice. And I'm always like, what am I supposed to do with these? <laughs> Your Hanukkah mailing labels? Yes, I totally have those with dreidels <laughs> on them and menorahs, whole nine. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that definitely happens. Yeah. Um, but when I think about stewardship, it's not that different than cultivation. It really isn't. Um, I think the biggest difference is with stewardship, you can directly tie into something they've already done. Versus cultivation, these could be new folks. Um, it could be a new project that you're cultivating them for versus kind of that retrospective you gave and therefore here's what we're doing. So let's list some examples. What are some stewardship activities that you've done that have worked? Well, I think the classic pre-COVID was like the donor thank you event. Um, yes. So getting your donors together, having a little program, letting them know what's going on, some drinks and apps maybe, something fun. It's such a fine line with those though because some people then are like, why are you spending money to try to have a party for me when I gave money for the cause yeah. and the programming? So we used to do a – this was a volunteer-specific one, but I, I've said it before – your volunteer stewardship and donor stewardship should actually very closely align mm-hmm. um, because you don't you, you should be valuing time as much as you do money coming into the organization. Yep. So anyway, so uh, we used to do this annual volunteer appreciation luncheon. All the food was donated and staff would actually show up in like aprons and we would serve the volunteers. And nice. it was all about like giving back to them. And it was so fun. I mean, obviously, there was plenty of staff time spent organizing and printing certificates and doing that kind of stuff. But it was a very low cost event otherwise. And I think actually that show of deference and service to the volunteers made such a difference. And they loved it. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So I worked at a place and um, we tried to do a donor appreciation event every year. And I think probably there are a lot of different factors of not having such a great turnout. One is maybe not having the the consistency of doing it at the same time every year so people would anticipate it Mm -hmm. and know that it was coming. Um, Maybe also our personal outreach to our donors and really having that connection to personally invite them to come. So anyways, we did this this event one year, and we had six people show up. <laughs> six total. Mm-hmm. And I might have told this story already on this podcast, but I'm going to tell it again because it's just one of those, like, it's a legend, right? Um, where 
so there's six people and there was probably equally that amount of staff so all of our senior staff were there (laughs) one-on-one experience for your donors (laughs) but you never know who's going to show up right and this couple showed up who had given a a gift to us one time maybe four months prior six months prior so we did it in early spring and i think they had given a year-end gift and they were a new donor Mm -hmm. and it's a fairly large first gift you know, so we were glad to meet them and to show up. I think they had maybe given like five grand. Yeah. And which was big for us and definitely big as a first gift. But we had never met them or talked to them before, except for when we made a thank you call. Um, and they remembered that. So again, that acknowledgement piece nice. is big. So when we asked them to come to this event, they came, ended up having such a great conversation with them. Aww. Such a great conversation. Um, wonderful people, super generous, and they said, you know what, we're going to give you a gift. Um, You could expect it in the next week or two. Didn't tell us how much it was, right? But of course, we start betting internally. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, what do we think? I don't know. I mean, five grand, that's kind of a big gift for a first gift. I don't know. Could they give us 20? Could they possibly? I don't know. Maybe they just give 10. Maybe they give five again. Who knows? So we're all talking about it. None of us were prepared for the actual gift because when we opened that check and saw a one with five zeros whoo they gave us a hundred thousand dollars holy shit yeah wow and that's exactly why i love my job because you just (laughs) don't know you just don't know i mean we I think I was in a meeting with someone else and my boss opened it and she's like, I'm sorry, I need to see Brittany for a minute here. <laughs> like pulls me out of this meeting, shows me the check. We're like, what? Oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. So wow. look at that. You just don't know. You never know. That's the fun and- of fundraising. And I'll be honest, after that event, had something like that not happened, I was like, I'm not doing these events anymore. (laughs) Nobody comes to them. Nobody really cares. Oh, my gosh. Wow. But now, yeah. Yeah. What are some other things that you do? Uh, Well, one of my favorites is the Valentine's Day card. Loving our donors, you know. uh Nice little mailed touch point. Um. For one client, this was a few years back, um, we had just launched their, truly like their first ever fundraising campaign. It was a a small, um, newer organization. We had a ton of success at year end, hit our goal, brought in a ton of new donors. Um, And so, of course, then like stewardship was paramount going into the next year. And so we, um, we did like a fun little video and a postcard. Um... And then, what was the other? Oh, and then an email. And so, like, all three of them pieced together this larger story. And it was so sweet. Had huge levels of engagement on it. Donors loved it. Um, It was just a a really fun way to to get them involved. Um, And they did a good job, too, of tying it back into the mission of what they were doing, which is, of course, really important. Uh, Because when we start to get away from that, that's when we get into real dangerous stewardship territory, which – is all too common. What do you mean by that? I'm so glad you asked, Brittany, because uh, <laughs> I've been fired up a little bit in the last week. 
Um, and I do want to say, I had this written down to talk about before Vu's article came out today. I know. I saw his <laughs> article and I was like, ooh, you beat us to it, Vu. <laughs> so, and I, I know we've hit on this a little bit before, but I take real issue, and it's not just me. It's Vu. It's community-centric fundraising. It's a lot of folks. But I take real issue with the way that we treat donors um, in allowing them access to services often at essentially a discounted rate. Mm -hmm. And so this can look like a lot of different things. It can be um, that we offer trainings and we let donors come to them for free. Even though it's it's a cost to our organization, we should be charging. Maybe even for-profits in that same space would be charging for it. But we let our donors come from free. That I, I think that's actually unethical. We yep. need to be charging our donors for these things. Um, so what came out most recently... Um, and the initial article I saw was in Seattle, but now it has come out that it's happening really across the country, is hospitals letting major donors jump to the front of line of vaccines. That's fucking crazy. It is so fucked up. So to be clear, you're saying these are donors that do not meet the requirements that for – for eligibility for vaccine eligibility right no. now so they do they do they meet do? they meet the eligibility requirements but it's like okay if we have 100 people who are eligible these five actually donate so they're going to get the first five slots oh has it also been happening for those that aren't eligible not that i've seen yet i just saw on um tv today that there are people in the you know that high profile people who are posting that they've received the vaccine who aren't necessarily um, a healthcare worker over the age of 65 you know what those are and so they're calling those people out and people are being called out on their social media whether they're Instagram and they're doing it as a way of like hey I have influence so I'm going to say I got the vaccine and I'm going to report that I don't have any side effects and I'm going to use this as a way to encourage people to get the vaccine but they're essentially outing themselves for line jumping wow oh my god that's wild you know, I, I did read an article this morning about these, um, like, boutique medical practices, which I didn't even realize existed, and I should have because capitalism. Um, but these folks who basically pay, like, a monthly retainer to get these high-end medical services, um, and these these practices actually, like, purchased the freezers early, like, even got in before some of the public health departments, so that as soon as it starts getting released to doctor's offices, to, you know, direct practices, they will be able to administer them directly to their patients. And, of course, their patients are only the wealthy because they're paying for these boutique services. Of course. And of that's course. fucked up, too. Absolutely, it's fucked up. I mean, that's why I find it so fascinating. And I, you know, obviously understand why they're doing it. But they talk about it on – I watched the Today Show. And so Al Roker got his vaccine. And he's like, I went through the process. Like, on Tuesday, I kept refreshing, 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 refreshing. Like, finally got my slot, went in. And the rest of them, you know, they're all joking about being, like, younger. So they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I don't have to go until later. You know, just making light and having fun. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that 
it should be an equitable process. And they were even showing about um, how in Florida, um, the amount of vaccines that they've given out and only 5% are um, African-Americans. Yeah. Yeah. 5%. So to wrap it back to philanthropy <laughs> this is again where philanthropy is broken and where we are training donors to expect shit like this yeah well i was talking to a friend about that this morning about how um distribution has been such a such a fucking mess like i've spent so much time trying to get my grandparents vaccinated yeah um and they're older like i said Grandpa's about to turn 80. Happy birthday, Grandpa. Um, And so, like, they're not as tech savvy. And yet, so much of the vaccine distribution is requiring this savviness. Yeah. Apparently, unless you're a donor, in which case they'll do it over the phone for you. Like, all the services my grandma has been trying so desperately to get through public health, you can get if you've got enough money. So, like... There are just so many issues around vaccine distribution that, of course, we should have expected that philanthropy would come into play. And I'm mad at myself. I didn't think about this sooner. But this is obviously a pretty extreme example. And yet most organizations probably have some level of donor stewardship or have historically that would fall into this unethical space. And it goes back to, I know we keep saying it over and over and over again, but are your philanthropic practices in line with the values of your organization? Because I guarantee you, if you went back to those hospitals that are doing that and you looked at their values and you looked at what they quote unquote stand for, it would be to be able to give healthcare services to all, right? And, And, but they're not demonstrating that by giving first- right of refusal or first offer to their high-level donors. That would actually be a really interesting thing is to look at all these hospitals that have now, you know, gotten some sort of public coverage and, like, actually look at their value statements or their mission statements and how many of them talk about access right, or equity or anything like that. And when when your fundraising practices don't align with your values, especially your publicly stated ones, then they're bullshit and you shouldn't even be saying them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm thinking of stewardship practices. Um, you know, a, a lot of times if I am have a personal relationship with the donor, it's thinking about them on, um, you know, different times of the year. So, for example, if you know their birthday, um, sending out happy birthday, that sort of thing. Um, or... So here's a funny story. We're kind of shifting gears now to maybe something a little bit more lighthearted. But we had a donor that um, we had no contact information for. We had a P.O. box, but we um, could not, did not have a direct phone or email uh, to him. His gifts came through his foundation, but even that foundation wasn't like a fully solidified foundation so we wouldn't get responses back and the way that he came to the organization was through another donor and um but he was pretty high profile and um had a ton and ton and ton of money and we are very thankful to have him as a donor but uh we just didn't have a way of uh stewarding that relationship right Mm -hmm. 
And so I Googled him mm-hmm. and I found out that he liked fly fishing. And so I bought these note cards that had fly fishing like pictures on the front of them. And every time we were in the news for something, I would cut out the article from the paper or print it and put it in a card to him and just say like, hey, just thought you would like to know how your gift is impacting our work here. Look, we were just in the news for this project that we did and, you know, thank you for helping to support it. And then I sent it to the P.O. Box. That is some next level fundraising right there. (laughs) It's a little Google stocking, but, you know, some organizations have like entire departments that are devoted to donor information yeah grabbing yeah yeah we're small time so i just did a little do 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 my google search bar never heard from him (laughs) have no (laughs) i never heard from him um but every year his gift still came Mm -hmm. so i don't know it didn't hurt yeah at the very least. <laughs> I stand by it. Very nice. I had one organization that uh, they would send out um, like an, an annual card, like board members would all sign it. It was a small organization. So they had the capacity to do that to all donors. And inside it, they would include a tea bag and say something like, have a cup of tea with us. I know. It was really sweet. And then they'd include something to read while you were drinking your cup of tea. That's cute. Yeah. I like those little things. I mean, that is the thing with stewardship is that you don't know exactly what is working um, until they give again. Unless, you know, like if they come back and say, you know, thank you or whatnot. But. It's not like because you sent me this tea bag, I'm now going to give you X amount more money. Right, right. What do you think about annual reports as a step in stewardship? I hate annual reports. <laughs> they, they are the thorn in my side. I cannot stand them. Sorry. I know for data people, they're like, these are amazing. Um Maybe it's just my experience of trying to pull together the information and having to collect it after out of like six different software systems. And <laughs> but sure, yes, I, I mean they are. <laughs> sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. I could see why people would like them. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm a big fan of annual reports that are simplified Uh so that they're less burdensome. Um, You know, I've certainly worked for organizations that will take six months to get them out because it's so much to gather the data, to edit it 17 times, to send it to the graphic designer. Like, I'm a big fan of actually like the one page graphic, here's what we did last year kind of report. Um, I think it's such a great touch point, especially if it can be personalized in some way. Yeah. There was one organization that um, I gave to monthly and they asked if I could, if I would be willing to be featured in their annual report. Oh. Which, always happy to do that. Always happy to support their 
ongoing fundraising efforts. Um, but they, what they did, which I thought was really nice, is when they got it printed, they mailed it to me, but they tabbed my interview, oh, like my nice. little quote, yeah. and just said, oh, you know, you, you sounded so great here, Nia. Thanks for doing this. Aww. It was like such a nice, simple little touch and made, made my day. That's great. <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Brittany, so we've gone through stewardship, but we haven't actually tied it back in. What part of the dating cycle is this? Oh, great question. This is the never stop romance in part. This is you put a ring on it. You've had the wedding. You've thanked your significant other. (laughs) And now if you want to stay in a happy marriage or a happy partnership, you got to keep showing the love i i think you are spot on and then you know because it is a cycle identification is like renewing the vows like you you got it you can start this whole thing again we could do this for days (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah so yeah that's that's the end of the relationship but it's not the end that's the secret it's just the beginning. It's never the end. Yeah. You got to keep it going. Keep showing <laughs> the love. Love it. Um, I think a nice stewardship practice is also inviting your donors to um, to other events that you're having. That Oh, for sure. <clears throat> I mean, yes, both ones that have an ask, but even those that don't, right? Yeah. So um, where are you an expert or do you have mm-hmm. access to um like a what do I want to say where can you be a value add mm-hmm. or provide something to your donors that is access to something maybe even like bigger than what's happening in your own community um so I know that seems super vague but uh you know I work for an organization that is connected to a national and then even an international organization and so we have access to these webinars and this like really cool panel discussions that are happening at a national level and and being able to share that with my donors and say look you know would you like to come to this and then sometimes we even have them ourselves and Mm -hmm. get in these really great panelists um and and it doesn't cost them anything i'm not asking you for money I'm just saying I know you um, have a passion for our mission, and so you might be interested in attending this, and they seem to really appreciate that personal Mm -hmm. invitation. Well, I think that's also a great way to step into that role as fundraisers, as educators of donors. Yes. I mean, I know we talked about this a while back, um, and I think actually it's probably from a VU article. Ugh. Probably. Gosh, that VU. I know. When are we going to start to create our own content? <laughs> yeah, Brittany. <laughs> when are you going to start to create our own content? <laughs> we need to get it out before him. And then we'll be like, VU read our article. And then he wrote his own. <laughs> but he, he was calling on fundraisers to like see ourselves as um, part of social justice, even in fundraising. And that we have really um, a responsibility because of our relationships with donors to help educate them and move them 
um, deeper into these movements. Yes. And so I think these those types of um, sessions you're talking about are such a great way to do it. And it also leverages, I think, one, one of the key skills of nonprofits is to serve as a convener. Yes. I mean, we Ooh. we do it all day, every day as organizations. And so we can continue to leverage that on behalf of the organization in also convening our donors with these great panels or, you know, presentations, whatever it is. And that also maintains stewardship and mission alignment. And I mean, it's just like hitting all the boxes. I love it. That's so good. Well, and we also talked about this when we discussed, I don't know, silver linings of 2020 or silver linings of COVID. And, you know, Mm. I do think going to this all virtual model, I mean, people now don't have an excuse to not know how to join a Zoom call, right? Right. And so it makes accessibility that much easier um, so that you can host something like this, you know, a panel discussion, a, a brown bag lunch, yada, yada. And people can tune in from home or from anywhere and be able to access the information. Mm-hmm. I, I just had this experience last week. Um, so there's an organization down in Denver that does an annual state of the sector presentation. And every single year I want to go. And it's down in South Denver. It's an hour and a half away. The session itself is an hour and a half. And so for whatever reason, every year I end up backing out. This year I could actually attend um, and actually like prepped my slow cooker while I was watching. Oh. I know like peak work from home life. Is this the slow cooker that you want in an auction? <laughs> no, that's a pressure cooker. Oh, okay. Okay. Very different. Okay. Very sorry, different. sorry. Um, <laughs> but it was such a great session. Um, and I was just noticing, like, based on who was commenting, it was a lot of nonprofits, but it was also a lot of corporate partners. It was foundations. They had done a great job of convening this really diverse group in terms of like representation of organizations to the table to talk about the nonprofit sector. And I was just so impressed. And the content was great. And I loved the speakers and yada, yada. Yeah, and you got to attend. Right. That's so great. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, well, now, you know, there's the whole conversation of hybrid events, right? And what are those going to look like going forward? But it'll be really interesting to see what maintains virtual, what stays virtual, or at least continues to have a virtual component to it. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of this presentation, they were like, well, we we hope we'll be in person next year and we can see all of you. And I was like, oh, gosh. Oh, please don't. Bummer. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Well, I mean, there's a million different ways um, to steward your donors. And I would love to hear some of your greatest ideas out there from the audience, from people that are listening. I was like, I just gave them, Brittany, I'm done. (laughs) As we stare at each other in a Zoom call (laughs) while we're talking, she's like, wait, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to – who are you talking to? Um, No, from you, listener, I want to hear from you. Um, So send us what has worked best for you. What were those practices? And, of course, we love to hear the fails. So what didn't work? Because then we learn. We all learn. And we all laugh together. Hopefully not cry. (laughs) But truly, okay, so this is our last episode on the donor cycle. You've heard them all now. What we would love to do is actually 
visit your stories. So we are going to ask all of you, if you have any story about any part of the donor cycle, email us or direct message us. We're on Facebook and Instagram between now and the end of February. So you got a few weeks. You've got four, exactly four weeks Mm -hmm. to let us know. Actually, you'll have three because this gets released next Monday. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) They can do it. Three weeks. I believe. I believe in them. They can do it in three weeks. If you have funders who give you three weeks to put together a massive application, I know you can find time to do this. (laughs) Shoot us an email. Let us know the story because we would love to get enough stories that we could actually do a listener story episode. We will anonymize. We'll make sure that it doesn't point to you or your organization, but send them our way. Nonprofit remail. Nonprofit reframe at gmail.com. There you go. If you don't send them in, we're going to have to make them up. And I'll do that. I, I will. I will too. <laughs> but I'd rather read ones that actually happened. <laughs> and that maybe that's it. If we don't get enough, we'll do a whole like, is this real or made up? Yes. Two truths and a lie. Two nonprofit truth. reframe style. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. But now people are going to want that. And so they're not going to send them in. Damn no, it, No, send them. Send them, send them, send them. Um, yes, we want to hear from you. So, um, I think that's it, right? Yeah. All right. Well, as always, you know, tomorrow's Groundhog's Day. Um, we'll see what that's going to bring, six more weeks of winter or not. But either way, your local nonprofits need funding. So please support your local nonprofits if you have capacity by giving and giving generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.